Welcome back to Indie Comics. He's amazing. He's talented. He's joined us before and is surprisingly back to talk to us again, which is pretty impressive. We have Frank Gogol here today. I am your host, Maddie, and I have with me... Brandon, as always. (laughs) As always. (laughs) He's loving his uh, co-hosting responsibilities. Um, Gets to hang out with me all day and on the Indie Comics podcast. And Frank, welcome back. We didn't scare you off, huh? No, never. Thank, thanks for having me. I, I, you know, I've been doing a, a lot of repeats this year. Uh, I think I've been on some shows like three or four times now. And I'm, I'm oh, starting so you'll to be think, back again. I think, well, my, 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 my pitch is if you want me back, you got to get me like a title belt, like reigning champ mm. most, most you know, shows. Um, We've had a few people on multiple times. So you may not be the reigning champ yet, but I think you can get there. Uh, listen, Keep making I'll, amazing comics and it'll be you. Or I, I could just go Nancy Kerrigan on them, you know. Just, <laughs> I mean, it's possible. We will not give out their addresses. But, that sounds uh, like you know, the best option. <laughs> so how are you doing? It's been, I think we talked to you in March. So it's been like almost six months now. That's crazy. <laughs> right. And things were a lot different then. <laughs> yes. That was, was it pre-COVID when we talked to you? It, it must have been. It must have been a rape. Oh my gosh. I that was I, like the before times. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I, I've been uh, I've been working from home since the end of February, uh, but wow. like it didn't get bad until I think the middle of March. Um, and I'm yeah. in San Francisco, so we were like the first city to shut down. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and people are acting like it's normal again. <laughs> so it's it, not it's not going great. It's very strange. And you guys have had all those fires up there too. And my best friends lives in San Fran. Yeah. Um, crazy, crazy place to live, but beautiful city. Yeah. <laughs> when you can go explore to get something how have you been then i mean obviously you know nobody's been great uh but how has work been going for you have you been able to be more creative in your quarantine uh you know i'm not like a very romantic person when it comes to creativity like <laughs> it's, it's my job uh in a lot of ways yeah. so i sit down and i do the work um so i've, I've definitely been more productive uh my days are longer uh in a weird mm-hmm. way like, don't ha- have to commute like I, I work in san francisco like two and a half miles from my house but i walk to work when, when we have oh, it wow. um so it's like an hour commute each way but it's like how i get my exercise and like my you know listen to some podcasts uh not having to do that every morning and night now and not being yeah. able to go to the gym like i've just got all these extra hours in the day and i've been just cranking out stuff trying to like make the most of the bad situation you know lots of pitches going out uh books in production lots of writing just you know trying trying to come out the other end of this in, in good shape if it ever ends that's awesome have you gained the COVID-19 as they're calling it it's like the freshman 15 uh you, you know I did I did stack <laughs> on I did stack on a, a couple pounds in the beginning uh and like like I said I walked to work twice a day and yeah like, that's a lot to not do anymore <laughs> uh, and then on top of that I would get home and, and go to the gym which was oh, you know, man. Too far my house. Uh, so not having that and, and kind of eating the same as I was and, and maybe even a little worse uh I'm I definitely worse. stacked on like <laughs> five or 10 pounds. Uh, but, uh, at the beginning of August, um, I, I sort of like had to, had to do something about it cause it was going to keep getting worse. So, uh, I got an elliptical for our home office and Check you out. that's been a, a dream come true. <laughs> like it just, I, it's crazy how much exercise is like important to the, the creative process, like without mm. that daily routine and like a little bit of mindlessness in your life. And, um, it, it, it's just so much easier for me to think when I can turn my brain off for a little while and then come back to things. So that's been nice. That's awesome. Uh, Brandon can definitely, um, identify better with that. I, the only gym I go to is in Pokemon. So <laughs> I'm good. 
But he goes to the gym now. He's a crazy person. I mean, it's open, so why not? That's not a great. There's a lot of things that are open. <laughs> Risk of death. Yeah. Well, he's also a paramedic. I'm around so it all I the time, like... anyway, so it's whatever. Yeah, he just is fine with bringing me jermies home. It's whatever. <laughs> he's happier though, because it does. It makes a big difference when you're used to exercising. Yeah, I wish I wish I could lift weights still, but uh, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take. Healthy, it. Be healthy. Be creative. Though, the endorphins get your brain going in a way most people don't understand. I I also have a hard time sleeping, so like if I can mm. extend energy during the day rather than sit at my desk all day, like that helps uh, a ton. Um, like for getting me tired at the end of the day. So it's just it's just good all around. I think more people need to exercise. It's not it's not that hard. It's not it's not like if you exercise for an hour, that's four percent of your day. That's not a lot of time. That seems like a long time. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's the point you tell yourself it's only four percent. I get my endorphins from eating chocolate, which I've been doing a lot of, and it's going great. So, <laughs> but I believe you, uh, our new fitness expert and creativity genius. Um, so you said you have a lot of pitches and everything going out. Are you really excited about those? Do you feel like, you know, maybe this is a time that I'm thinking it's so hard for the world and for comics and there's no conventions and there's all these terrible kind of things happening, but I feel like a lot of creativity hopefully will come out of this period when people aren't able to do a million things. And so they can focus more on other worlds and other stories and escape a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like I said, I'm just I'm just trying to keep busy. Um, I've I've gotten a lot of opportunities this year that uh, I don't know if I would have gotten if the world had kind of kept spinning the, the normal way. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I wish I could talk about them, like because some of, I was telling Tyler before we started, like some of them are really cool and big opportunities, but they're just not far enough along yet. So hopefully we'll be talking about those later or next yeah, year. That'll be time number three, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I'll, I'll come on every Working week. You guys want to start a variety show? I'll come on every week. Oh, be careful. Tyler will take you up on that. <laughs> I got jokes. It's going to be great. That's awesome, though. It's really great that you have been kind of, you know, making the most of this time. And I think it is such an important time that hopefully when we get out of this, we're going to have all of these amazing new comics. Um, something really cool that did happen this year, though, is that Dead End Kids became a trade paperback. It, so everybody can collect them. <laughs> um, and that's what we wanted to talk to you about today. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of the history of Dead End Kids and how it came to be? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, Dead End Kids uh, was my 2019 miniseries. Uh, it's sort of extremely popular miniseries. Yeah, really hard to get. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a copy of number three still. Like, oh my gosh, seriously? I guess I could just go on eBay and get it at this point. But yeah, I that's... feel like somebody's got to be able to find that for you. That's yeah. rough. <laughs> I, think, I think it's lack of effort more so than lack of ability. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a big hit. Uh, the, the sort of elevator pitch for it is uh, Stand By Me meets the Hardy Boys, but sort of darker and a little more violent set in 1999, uh, following these kids trying to solve their friend's murder. Uh, and it's just, you know, sort of a twist on the classic coming of age story. Uh, for for kids of a generation that hasn't had a lot of coming of age stories, like so many are set in the fifties and the the eighties, and like you know we're seeing a wave of of early two thousands and nineties ones now, and sort of snuck in at the at the beginning of that wave. Luckily, it could just be noise now if it's coming out today. Um, I but, uh, it. it's brilliant. <laughs> I, I I really like it. I you know en- enough to uh, maybe write a second one, but we can talk about that. Ooh, exclusives. So, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first folks 
So what what inspired you to create this story? Was it really just seeing that like, the landscape was pretty open? That Were you a 90s kid? Uh, I was born in 87. So I was you know a kid in the 90s, uh, I, like an adolescent uh, in the, the late 90s and early 2000s. I was in like eighth grade in high school. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the kids in, and Dead End Kids are a little bit older than I am, uh, like two or three years probably. Uh, but it, it was just, I, I like the idea of, uh, like, some of my favorite stories are Stand By Me and The Sandlot and, and Stephen King's It. And, and I, yeah. I was, you know, kids are struggling with things at home stories because that was a lot of what I grew up with and the people I, you know, I grew up in a, a really poor socioeconomic part of New Jersey and, and like, things, things weren't easy or great. And that was kind of the truth for, for all the people I grew up with. And to, to be able to kind of dig into that and meditate on that a little bit as an adult was, was something I was interested in exploring this idea of childhood trauma and whether it, you know, ha- plays a role in who you grow up to be or who you become. Because you know, I, I grew up with kids who went through very similar things to me and we ended up living vastly different lives. And that's always kind of fascinated me. Like, where I ended up and where the, my best friend ended up. And so, uh, yeah, th- th- there were a lot of reasons I wanted to write it, but mostly I wanted to just, you know, kill some kids and before James Tyne made it popular. Uh, <laughs> Sweet burn. <laughs> it's riding my coattails, James. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, it's very, I was, uh, I'm 1990. So just a couple years after you, I don't like to share my age. I'm turning 30 this year. So it's very scary. My wife's um, turning 30 next year. So you know, just, I'm, I'm living that existence too. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm turning 30 in a couple months in November. Brandon did get me a French bulldog breaking news for the indie comics team. Very excited about it. Why are we He's talking coming. about that and kids? Let's talk about this dog. <laughs> <laughs> What's its we already name? got him a beagle like a month ago who's named Kovu and is a little terror. So if anybody hears barking, that's what's going on. And then now we're getting George a Frenchie so they can be friends and howl at us all day. Wait, every wait, day. You got a Speaking French, of barking. You got a French bulldog and named it after the English king? No. Okay, wait. He's named after George Washington. Okay, okay. I mean, <laughs> Who also didn't... Well, he wasn't in charge when the French Revolution happened, so I don't blame him. But we, we helped with it. You yeah. Know, Thomas Jefferson was huge. Benjamin Franklin. I mean, we, we, we helped them. We were tangentially involved. But not yeah. we, we didn't go full out. I'm a very... My we last name is Desjardins, so I'm very into French history. So it is ironic. I'm not naming my Frenchie after like Lafayette or someone cool. But I love George Washington and my dream... Have you seen Hamilton? Yeah, of course. So my dream is as he waddles into the room, I go, here comes the president. And like, he's just this little potato boy. So. All right. I I dig it. That's my beginning quarter life crisis, whatever. (laughs) Do you think Um, you're going to live to 120? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Technology is getting good. Women live longer than men. Not that long. <laughs> also, do you want to live that long? I mean, the world is not. No, that is true. I kind of want to be no. out sooner than that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm out, I'm checking out at seventy-five. Whether I've done everything I need to or not. <laughs> I mean, that or the Earth will just explode, and you know, <laughs> we'll all be gone. Either way, um, sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, so we're pretty on on par, I think, with this conversation for dead end kids. <laughs> um it's intense it's spooky it's super cool um i love the like murder mystery element and like you said the 90s don't get enough love we're very into the 80s right now Mm -hmm. and that's fine but 90s and styles are coming back you know it's weird i i'm starting to notice like 2000 styles creeping back in like like shorts and like (laughs) 
songs that are playing on like vintage radio stations now are things like I remember <laughs> listening Isn't to. Isn't that them. awful? Don't you feel like a million years old? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I never understood like nostalgia. And and when I wrote Dead and Kids, it was very much like an anti-nostalgia book. Like I was like, yeah. nostalgia sucks. Like th- these are not the golden years. But now like just two years later, I'm like, oh man, I I really want to watch Smallville so I can just like. Yes. <laughs> The one show that did Lex Luthor justice. I'm a weird, large Lex Luthor fan. It's fine. It's nothing strange. You know, uh, fun fact, going to go <laughs> go off into the weeds for a second. Um, at the second to last convention I did, uh, in, it was either beginning of February this year, end of January, I did uh, Wizard World Portland, which wasn't right. a very good show. But <laughs> um, weird, weird thing happened. Uh, one of the writers I was tabling with, Garrett Gunn, who does Franklin and Ghost and a couple other mm. books at Source Point Press, he's really close with the voice cast of the X-Men animated series for oh some reason. Yeah, and, and we went out for drinks uh, at the like the bar attached to the hotel for the convention center. Um, and Mike Rosenbaum and um, oh god, uh, what's his name? We played Lana Luther, Jonathan Glover. Oh, uh, yeah. They were there and and Jonathan Glover like came and sat at our table, and oh I don't I don't want to like put him on blast or like say anything, but he was he he had had a few drinks and like he was like stroking my earlobes and stuff, and really that really is amazing, nice, really nice guy. And, and the only reason I'm saying this is because I was literally just recounting the story to my wife in the car about an hour ago, and it's on my mind. It, I nice mean, guy, it's the greatest story ever. So he's a real <laughs> weird guy. I could I could get that sense. <laughs> That is amazing. Um, you know, that's the best part, I think, of conventions. It's like meeting people, finding awesome comics, but also like drinks after. There's always yeah. a lot of good stories. Or like people in weird cosplays just getting shattered. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love conventions. Like I, I did 20 last year and I think I did about 20 the year before. And like I, I really do. Like a lot of guys I know who, who write comics like really look at it as work and, and like it's really expensive thing and they're definitely expensive to, to get to and yeah. total money suck. But I, I love being there. I love meeting people. I love like the drinks afterward and like, it's kind of like the weird situations you end up being in. Like, you know, there's just like so many celebrities and shit there. Like you, you can't throw a rock without meeting somebody cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like it is such a strange world right now. Cause like I grew up in San Diego. So San Diego comic-con was like my hometown con. Um, and I remember before it became what it is now and it was just like oh get your tickets for next year just hop right up like you could buy them on site and um yeah it's it's crazy now and just watching it grow and watching how big conventions have become um we actually just moved out to Colorado so I'm excited to go to Denver comic-con um it's a good show yeah I've never I've never been I only go to the California ones because I'm lazy um but now gonna have to fly around <laughs> the Denver ones are they, they always have the worst dates but it's a good show like it's always on like memorial day or the fourth of july weekend right but well, it, well WonderCon is almost always on easter and then like their big pitch one year was like it's not on easter <laughs> you're like okay <laughs> i have never been to WonderCon, and this was supposed to be my first one this year i, I do the best i do san diego and i do la uh, in, so in it's like san diego seven or eight years ago okay it's amazing it's my favorite yeah. I've heard good things, and and like I I like the the smallerness of it. Like like Boom is there, and like mm-hmm. other aftershock and other publishers, but without like 
the insane crowds of New York and, and San Diego. So yeah, like, and I, it still has like good celebrities and good like random awesome people, and there's a lot more cosplay, and it just feels more like the old community versus I feel like Comic Con in San Diego now has become like I gotta get my exclusives, I've gotta get whatever, I've gotta meet so and so versus like a community of fans coming together to hang out. Yeah, I'm I'm both of those people. So like, <laughs> what's your con like? kryptonite shall we say <laughs> um how do you mean like what what is the the you've got to get thing then oh uh i'm a i'm a huge power rangers junkie so like nice. they've had such a renaissance the last like four or five yeah. years like, and there's so many cool exclusives um so favorite uh, ranger uh jason lee scott the original red ranger who was also the zeo gold ranger which is my favorite ranger of all time very That's nice cool. Yeah, shout out to our friend Wilt, who is our Red Ranger. We did, uh, it, he started this, it's Go-Go Party Rangers. So it's Power Rangers, but with like floaties and like Hawaiian <laughs> shirts. And like, it's a very chill con outfit. And yeah. uh, Pink Pink Ranger forever. I can get behind that. Brandon's green. <laughs> after, years of being for, after years of being forced to be the Black Ranger, I finally upgraded to the Green Ranger. This is an audio podcast. Brandon is black. <laughs> Got to be horned into that a little bit. <laughs> um, no, no comment. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from that one. Yeah, it was really like an adult moment where I was like, baby, you could be the Green Ranger. Like, no one's going to stop you. Um, I felt very a, liberating. Yeah, he makes a very cute Tommy. Um, but no, what are you What are you most excited for for promoting your books and just for being part of when cons come back? Uh, honestly, <laughs> this is the, the worst thing ever. But like, time away from home. Like, I, um, <laughs> like tell I, your wife that. I, no, well, I, I love my wife. And, <laughs> and, you know, like so. Last year, uh, I said, like I said, I did twenty cons. Yeah, that's uh, a lot. And that, and that schedule was set in October of 2019. So, like, really mm. far in advance. And then we got engaged over Christmas. Uh, oh. We were in Paris and it was Christmas and there's no way I wasn't going to like do that. Oh my gosh, stop. Yeah, yeah you would have gotten in trouble if you didn't. Yeah. I feel, I feel like it was expected. Like how it came back single or engaged. It was, it was, <laughs> Two um, options. But Where was it in Paris? Came, I have to know. Uh, we, so we were, uh, I forget what the neighborhood was, but we, uh, we took a walk, a walk along the Champs-Élysées, uh, so Ugh. like from the, the Arc de Triomphe towards, uh, the Louvre, um, and just kind of strolled. It was, it was pretty close to midnight too on, on Christmas. So I think uh, by the time I got in from the walk, it was almost, it was the next day. Um, but, um, if you, if you take a, if you're heading towards the Louvre and you're, so I guess that's North uh, you, and you take like a, a right off the Champs-Élysées, you can go walk along the, the Seine and see the Eiffel Tower. Um, and so we were like in eyeshot of the Eiffel Tower. So it was, it was nice. That is like the most romantic thing ever. Brandon, take notes. We have no money and we'll never go to Paris, but <laughs> who knows? We're getting married in April. He proposed oh. to me in our kitchen, which was very romantic. And there's a whole story, but it was not quite like France. You know what? I, I, I don't think that it is about where. I think it's yeah. about who. Um, 100%. And, and had we not been going to France for Christmas, I probably would have done it in our living room or our bathroom. Yeah. Honestly, at home was actually the way that I always like pictured it. Cause it's just intimate and wonderful. But like, if you can be in France. Yeah. Like I, when opportunity <laughs> knocks, you open the door, but you know That's what? Awesome. Was, I'm watching, uh, uh, the haunting of Hill house or, or what? Oh, it's scary. It, you know what? I I'm late to it. Uh, I had the weekend to myself cause my wife went away, which was nice. Um, 
Your wife is going to love this podcast. You you will get back to that. Um, (laughs) Spoilers, but I I watched the episode about the the youngest sister, the twin. um, Mm, Yeah. Her her sleep issues. Um, And and like that New Year's scene where uh, her fiance proposes to her, like, that was like really good. Like, and it was super like stereotypical, you know, like in the bottom of the champagne glass on New Year's. But like, I think you can take a, like a cliche or stereotype and you can, you know, the, the right delivery, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. A hundred percent. Although I will always say no food or drinks because like I am the clumsy person who would like accidentally drink it or something terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, so. when, when I, when I, when I proposed, like I made sure that like, it was like the ring couldn't get dropped. Um, all right. I'm going to get real in the weeds because you're going to like the story. I love this. I'm sorry. Tyler can cut it out later or people will enjoy romance stories. We need romance in the time That's of fine. COVID-19. It's, it's one of the most popular comic genres of all time. So we're just true. still comics. True. Um, so <laughs> when I started dating my wife, um, I went home to San Francisco where we live now with her for Christmas. Yeah. And we chopped down a, a Christmas tree with her family. Um, they Aww. do that every year. Um, and I saved the stump. Um, and every year I slice off like a, a disc of the, the stump uh-huh. and make ornament out of it because i'm fucking romantic yeah yeah extremo yeah and, <laughs> and, respect. and every year i would burn something into the the, the disc of the stump uh Aww. like uh the first year we got our dog and then we bought a house um for uh 20 2018 we got engaged um right yeah um <laughs> I, so i preemptively figured I was going to get a yes and hope for it and made the ornament, you know, got engaged um, <laughs> as, as the milestone. And I could like, have been like a really rough Christmas. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but like I notched like the, the backside of it in to have like an insert. So the ring could sit in there rather than a box. So, so when she opened it, she thought like, Oh, it's just, you know, another ornament. It's you know, our yearly tradition. And then when she flipped it over, the ring was like attached to it and, and, just nailed it absolutely nailed it well done crushed it yeah. i will admit Tyler, i never asked yeah. <laughs> i want to give a shout out to brandon so our song have you seen frozen yeah of course Everybody it's the best, asked, right? best song uh, so ever. you know the song love is an open door sure do he like randomly knew the words to that one time when we were in the car and it came on one of my random playlists and so we like it became a thing that we would always sing it together and like it's just such a fun song and really cute and at the end he says like will you marry me and she says can i say crazy yes and uh we cook in the kitchen all the time and one night we were cooking and he like pulls a ring out of the uh, out at the end when he says will you marry me and i'm like crying it was very cute that is very cute, but doesn't it violate the no food rule if you're cooking? It no, wasn't in the food. Yeah, it was not it in was the food. Near the food. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> there was no danger of it touching food. So that right. is that's the food rule. You can't have it like on a plate or in a you know cup. Gentlemen, if you're listening, this is good pro tips. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go out and say like taking your newly engaged you know, fiance to the emergency room because they swallowed the ring is yeah. not how you want to spend your first not right. And that would have been, I'm very clumsy. Like it would have been me. It would have been terrible. <laughs> well, congratulations to you guys. And I'm thank super- you. Super- We're doing the thing in April one way or another. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know what? I, my, my wife, she wanted to get married this year and I pushed really hard for us to do it last year because oh, I knew this so year. Smart. I knew that this year was going to be like a lot of conventions. It ended up being no conventions. But, but conventions saved you. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank That's God. awesome. Well, congratulations uh, to you. Happy indie comics romance episode to all of our listeners. Go get engaged. Get married. Yeah. And it's great. Kids. Engage with or get engaged with a dead end kids copy. Like it's better than <laughs> Yeah, it's a very nice transition. It trades only ten bucks too. It's gonna save you. Ten dollars, um, people. There's literally no excuse. That's like three comics off the rack, too, if you're going. It's actually really cheaper nice. than buying the single issues, which is something <laughs> I pushed really hard for. Um, so I know that we, uh, we're on a little bit of a, a time crunch here, uh, and we've been talking for about 25 minutes. Uh, you guys, do, do you guys want to hear something really exciting? Yeah. Um, so we, we talked about Dead End Kids. Um, depending on when this airs, we will either just be about to announce or we will have just announced uh, a sequel series to Dead End Kids. Ah! Ooh. What give give us everything? Give us whatever you can give us. Uh, I well, depending on when this will air, um, we can air it whenever it needs to air. How about that? Let's make it <laughs> after October sixth, then I can tell you everything. Yeah, you works. got it. All right. Um, so, Dead End Kids: The Suburban Job is the follow up to my 2019 indie hit series. Uh, we took a true detective approach to the series, so it's. Um, different time period, different place, different cast, uh, sort of same dead end kids feel, you know, crime coming of age, dark. Uh, if you love the first series, this is just an, an adrenaline shot of more of that. Mm. Um, so this series takes place in 2008 and it follows three kids who are the, uh, relatives or, 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 or related to, uh, people who either, died on or because of 9-11 um mm. so it's 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 heavy in, in a weird way um it's not uh it's not tragedy porn like it's not very much about 9-11 um but it is sort of the emotional engine of the book uh so we've got three kids uh tori who is the daughter of a first responder who died at ground zero uh we've got Brian, who is uh, the brother of a soldier in the army who died in Afghanistan. And we have Amna, who is a Pakistani-American young woman who is dealing with sort of the exacerbated um, racial situation that sort of grew out of uh, 9-11 and you know, continues to be yeah. issued to this day. Uh, so the, the book is set seven years after you know, the, the, the attacks uh, and kind of looks at the sort of long-term effects of, of how this affects people, especially young people who sort of grew up in the shadow of it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, these kids are going through really real things, dealing with issues um, that, you know, like loss of a loved one and, and how do you process that in, in, in a healthy way. Um, at the same time, it's a heist book. Uh, that's sort of the crime angle this time around. Uh, rather than a murder mystery, we're, we're looking at a heist. Um, and uh, it's sort of an inversion of the original formula. The original book was about a group of friends who were really tight-knit and were all dealing with things and had each other to, to sort of lean on and, and get through. This group of kids um, were friends at one point, and as they sort of suffered and, and, and grew older, sort of drifted apart and now sort of isolated and they're thrust back together when they sort of get on the radar of a local drug dealer who's kind of out for blood and uh they have to kind of put their bullshit aside long enough to work together to to, to pull off this job and, and get out of it unscathed uh which they won't oh that sounds freaking amazing that's a heck of a pitch what yeah. um what about 9-11 kind of drew you to that as an anchoring point 
Uh, so when Dead End Kids 1 came out, uh, sometime between the first and second issue, SourcePoint Press came to me and said, hey, this book's doing really well for us. I think it ended up being their best-selling book to date at that time. Uh, no heroin outsold it. Um, so reigned, No big deal. Great reigning champ there, too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they said, you know, if you wanted to do more of this, we, we would publish it. You sort of no questions asked because, um, you know, it's, it's good. Um, and I, and I, I didn't have a story. And if you've read the first volume, like kind of wrote myself into a corner, it'd be really hard to tell a story with those kids with the way that book ends. Um, but I didn't want to like shut the door entirely. Um, I was writing no heroin at the time that was gearing up for that. Uh, so I told him maybe like a really soft, maybe uh, I essentially said, yeah, if I could get the right story. Um, and, and it took me a while to get to it. Um, but, uh, sort of, you know, uh, the the nine eleven thing kind of came from my conversations with my wife, honestly. Uh, so I grew up in New Jersey on the East Coast uh, in a little town called Union Beach. Uh, we were on the sort of southern rim of the Raritan Bay, which looked directly across the southern Manhattan. So on like a clear day, we could see the Twin Towers from our beachfront. Um, oh, wow. And then my wife grew up in San Francisco in a big city. Um, she's a few years younger than me. Um, so like our experiences of that day are, are really different. Um, mine are like, obviously like I lived really close, like the day of, I was standing on that beach, like walking across and like, yeah. Whereas she was a bit younger and her memories of it are filtered through sort of the news and, and her experiences aren't as raw from, you know, being at a distance. And just like over the years, we've ended up talking about it here and there and and sort of thinking on it and like it got me realizing like that you know that thing is it happened almost 20 years ago like we just celebrated 19th anniversary next year will be 20 um and to this day it really like affects everything in society and like down the the microscopic level and and some things more than others um and like i was thinking like this year and maybe i think last year depending on when these kids were born we have kids entering college that grew up only ever knowing a post 9-11 world and yet and they've always sort of lived in the shadows um so just that combination of things got me thinking about like how did this you know i was i was 13 at the time so like how did it affect Mm -hmm. or the long-term effects like you know i'm i'm very lucky Uh, i have a family of first responders firefighters emts ems um and luckily the people who did end up working on ground zero like they all are still here to tell the story but like so I know people who have parents who died there and, and I know people mm. who have parents who died in the tower. So I went to school. So like, it's just, I really wanted to explore that very specific childhood trauma. Like the, the first book was about like general childhood trauma. And this one is like really focused, like laser focused on a specific thing and how, what the long-term effects are. But at the same time, like I said, I didn't want to make tragedy porn, like for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not so much about the day as what sort of rippled out forward from it and how it affected people. And I think we we've got something really special. I was looking over the the art for the last issue today, getting ready to send the letters. And like it's just it's, it's a gorgeous book. We got the original team back. Uh, Nana adds on art. Sean's on letters. Um, whoop whoop. Chris Chris is on covers again, um, and the covers are awesome. The the book just feels whole and complete feels familiar but different uh we, we we did some really cool stuff to to really differentiate it from the first series like um 
there's a lot of two page scenes, which is sort of like an artificial mm. thing, but to like really emphasize like the idea that this is a sequel and it's the second one. <laughs> and and like maybe that won't even register with some people, but we just we poured a ton of heart into this thing. That's um, awesome. I think that anyone who loved the first series is going to immediately recognize this series as being better. And anyone who didn't read the first series, you don't have to to check this one out. Uh, so going back to you talking about how you wanted to focus on how it affected people through 9-11 and having that Pakistani character and how racial tensions and everything were so tight after that and how racial tensions and everything are so tight even now. Um, how was it writing for that? What did you have to kind of learn and really put into it? Uh, so that was actually something like, that was probably the thing that took me longest, like the, the aspect of, of the writing and research process that took the most. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm a straight white yeah. guy. Like my viewpoint on this is, is limited. Um, but last year at Rose City Comic Con, I uh, boothed with a buddy of mine, Nolan Nasser, who um, works for SourcePoint Press's sister company, um, uh, Deep Water Games. And and he loves Dead End Kids. It's, it's one of his favorite books of all time. And he's not like a big comics guy. He's a board games guy. Um, but we were talking and he said the one thing that he wished that Dead End Kids Volume 1 had more of was was characters who he could identify with better. He's he's of yeah. descent. And there there are I mean that cast is Lily White and that was yeah just that just happened. Like it wasn't something we tried to do on purpose, but um you know it just it happened. It was something that I actively wanted to um make sure we didn't do for the second one because Nolan had a point. Like he loved the book. He understood it. It, it spoke to him, but it didn't speak to him as well as it could. And and there are other people out there who who could enjoy this or and may not because it won't speak to them. Um, so this cast is um, Tori is a Mexican-American uh, woman or young woman. Uh, Amna is Pakistani-American and uh, our other main character, Brian, is uh, second generation Italian-American. So he's he's the whitest of, of the cast for sure. <laughs> uh, and that was by design. Um, but for Amna in particular, like um, I wanted to make sure a Middle Eastern character was in there because like, that's obviously a, a hot button aspect of, of 9-11, right? The, the, the terrorists yeah, of, of Middle Eastern and, and uh, Saudi and, and Iraqi. Um, and, and it was important to, to show, you know, that, that these people who, who look a certain way and, and come from certain ethnic backgrounds aren't, aren't the bad guys and that they suffered because of this too. Um, and, and that was important to me. It was important to Nolan and, and that conversation really stuck with me. Um, the research for it was, was pretty tough and, um, you know, it's something I'm, I'm going to worry about until it lands if like we hit it just right. Um, but I, I did talk to Nolan about it. Um, he, he really, I, he should honestly get a producer credit on this. Um, mm. I, I worked with, uh, Ahmed Rafit who did the covers for no heroin and, um, had done some covers for dead and kids last year. Um, he's of Egyptian descent, uh, and he is a, a no longer practicing Muslim. Um, so he was mm. uh, really sort of, uh, integral to getting this right. And, um, honestly, like we, we, we did as much homework as we could to get it right. Um, but I think the, the, it might come off a little more multicultural, uh, just because mm. of the variety of people who, who weighed in on it. Um, but I, I learned a lot about, you know, uh, those faiths, um, Muslim faith and, and what it's like to be like the differences from country to country, uh, about how they're interpreted and, and how they, the different ways they pray. Um, some prayers are done 
in, in one language, no matter what your background is and while other ones are done in your native language. Um, so it was, it was, it was definitely an intense experience. It was a learning experience. It was something I wanted to make sure we got right. And hopefully we got it as right as possible. Like I'm sure there's going to be somebody out there who, you know, is going to nitpick something about the, the clothing or, or something. But I think the spirit of, of the experience will be well represented on the page. And, and you know, that, you know, if honestly, like if I, if it's got Nolan's approval, like uh, that's good enough for me. And, and, <laughs> well, yeah. it's just, it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, we, we went through something similar with no heroin. Uh, Kayla, the main character of no heroin is, is, is Puerto Rican American second generation, um, which for, for a lot of second generation Puerto Rican Americans, you know, they, they, they're very Americanized. They, they speak Spanish, but they've only ever lived in the U S and they, they speak and act a lot of the ways that, that other Americans do. But, you know, though the way she talks to her mom at home in the series was, was important to get right. And, and to make sure that the, the Spanish used is, is the right dialect. You know, you get the, the, the Island dialect versus maybe something of a Mexican or, or, you know, um, South American Spanish dialect. So I just, yeah, I, it's important to me to make sure that my stories are robust and representative. Um, there are certain stories I'll never feel comfortable telling, um, like I would never want to tell a story about a trans person coming out to their parents. That's not my story to tell, but I would love to tell stories with trans people in them to make sure that my stuff is representative of the larger world that we live in. Like it, I live in San Francisco. Like I see trans people and gay people and people of many different races. Every time I walk down the street, it's just like any other city in the world. Um, and, and I want to make sure that what I'm putting in the books is reflective of what I see in the world. Absolutely. That was awesome. And I think it's, it can be challenging in ways because I, I feel your pain about wanting to do it justice and wanting to make sure that um, people can identify with every character um, in different ways and see themselves. And, and it is a challenge because you want to get it right. But also mm -hmm. the fact that you're doing it and you're taking the time to, to try to get it right matters so much. And I think especially for, we see a lot of different characters, but like, I think within American culture, Middle Eastern characters are so important because of 9-11 and because, you know, here we are 20 years later and it's still, um, one of my best friends just married someone from Pakistan and like, it's just wild the way that we are still so affected by that and by, you know, the Iraqi war and just all of these things and, and how different someone from Pakistan is from someone from Iraq, from someone from Egypt, like you were saying, you know, like it's vastly different and yet people kind of lump everybody into one group. Yeah. I mean, that'd be like saying that people of Irish descent are the same as people of Italian descent. Like it's, it's, I'm, I'm Irish and not Italian. And I can tell you that my Italian yeah. grandparents were real different than me. So like, <laughs> like I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And, and, I hope that that this aspect of the story lands in a way that that shows that like I am fully prepared to to eat a ton of crow on it um, if somebody is is upset by the portrayal I, I can't imagine they would be but you never know like what what's going on I, I also Amna's arc is less about her culture than about her experience as as a 14 15 year old kid living in this this i don't i, don't, I wish i could talk more about it without ruining parts of the story because that, that that's a little bit why i'm stumbling over some of this question because i don't want to spoil anything mm. um but you know i i trust that i've i've 
done due diligence. And, and I think that, like I said, I've got Nolan and, and Ahmed and people whose opinions on the matter are, are more expert than mine and that I trust saying that we, we, we got it right. So we will see. I was going to say, it sounds like enough thought and care went into it to where I don't see how it could go wrong. Yeah. I mean, like at the end of the day, like the, the, the road to hell is paved in good intentions and like somebody somewhere might not like it. And that's, that's part and parcel of telling a story with a broad audience too. Like if more people than not are, are cool and, and it lands for them, like that's, that's going to be a win and, and we'll take it. Definitely. Um, what is kind of the one thing that you really hope people get from Dead End Kids, the sequel? I hope, I hope that it reinforces a lot of what we wanted to show in the first series that, you know, kids are put through these really trying things like very early in life and, and we don't talk enough about them. Like, I think that like our generation, yeah, I'm a little bit older than you. We were talking earlier, uh, but our generation, like we're a lot more in tune with things like going to therapy and, yeah. and, and saying when things bother us. And, and like, that's, that's, I mean, as much as other people want to paint that to be a, a bad or weak thing, it's not, it's absolutely yeah. a good thing. Um, and, and this book, you know, it, it takes it a step further than the first line because these kids don't have other people in their lives. And like, they really are dealing with this stuff all on their own until they get shoved back together by fate. Um, and I hope that that just shines a light again on you know, the, the reality. Like we childhood trauma can, can be small. Like it doesn't have to, not everybody has to, you know, have lost a loved one or, or struggled with addiction at a very young age or like whatever, like, the trauma point is like it, you know, it's all relative right like if yeah. you lived a, like a pretty good life you know like you know grew up in, in the suburbs and, and like a nice house and both parents working both parents in your life and and you were bullied like that's that's your trauma like and, and it's okay for that to be a thing and like just continuing to tell stories about kids going through stuff and, and making it a little more normal to to see and talk about like I went through so much bad shit as a kid and I was very lucky that I had people in my life with, you know, enough sensibility to, to put me in therapy. I was in therapy pretty much through high school, like, and, mm. you know, I, 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 and I definitely sought out people at like the, the counseling center in college when I needed to talk. And it's, it's important, but not a lot of people, A, recognize that they have trauma, like they kind of bury it deep yeah. or say it's not a big deal and kind of like cut themselves off at the knee like that. Um, but yeah, like I said, it can be bullying. It it can be an addiction. It it can be abusive parents. You know, we're we're seeing so much more of that coming up. Um, yeah. So it's I hope that it just continues to push uh, this idea that that it's it's okay to have bad shit happen to you and to to not be okay because of it and to look for help. Yeah, talk about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if it's with a friend, like you know, sometimes. Yeah. Just saying it out loud can be a really powerful experience if you've never done that. Well, that's one heck of a message. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but honestly, that's so important. And I think more and more, I mean, I was raised with, you know, my mom would threaten me with like, don't make us take you to therapy. Like it was like the worst thing that could possibly happen. I would be so right? broken. And it was awful. 
And it got me really scared of going to therapy. And then as an adult, I started going and it's wonderful and it's so important and it's so healthy. And frankly, everybody should be in therapy, no matter, you know, whether you're, you're dealing with a little bit or a lot. And it, it is, it's all relative. And I think that's so important for people to hear. Um, and, and I think we're finally getting to a place where more and more people are sharing it. So kudos to you for, for building such a powerful story um, that shares such a, uh, an important message. Yeah, yeah. It, it's also a heist book. Like it's, and it's, <laughs> it's also fun, guys. <laughs> violence and crime and you know, it's, it's making me sound like it's, it's, it sounds more like we're talking about grief than we are getting kids Um yeah, but no, I think I'm, that's a, that's the really good stories, right? Like they're fun and they're interesting and they're shocking and they're crazy, but also they leave you with something that's important. And I think that's what I love the most about independent comics. And it sounds like your book is going to definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. And and it's a nice palate cleanser because the book that I can't talk about that's coming after it, but is summer is like a hard sci-fi thing um, with, with like monsters and shit. So like this is... This is this was nice to do because like the, <laughs> the next one really was a new journey, and and it, it, this kind of reset me a little bit. Um, well, we we look forward to talking to you about that next one then too. Third time built, <laughs> um, hat trick. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again. This was so much fun to talk to you about your awesome comics, about Dead End Kids, about marriage, you know, all of the great stuff in life, comics and marriage. <laughs> Not all nerds are lonely. Um, <laughs> but you are so cool. We appreciate you so much. We can't wait to have you back for your third time. Um, since we still somehow have not scared you off, uh, you've got to give us another chance to do that. Um, <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Frank. And thank you, amazing listeners. You can check out our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all podcast apps. We're everywhere. You can also check out our website, thegrandgeekgathering.com, for our articles, videos, and more. Please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know if Dead End Kids is your favorite comic of all time and you already have the trade. Go out and get the trade if you don't. Tell us how excited you are for the sequel. Tell us everything. Tell us if you're engaged and getting married so we can celebrate you. Whatever. Leave us comments. We love them. You can also stay updated on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we stream on Twitch and Let's Play. Tyler's been busy on there, so check it out. The intro is provided by Carlisle Laurent, and you can buy Dead End Kids from your local comic book shop, from the onlines, from sourcepoint.press. Um, that's the awesome publisher, Source Point Press. Um, and Dead End Kids 2, come into a local comic book shop near you. Don't do what a lot of people did last time. And they didn't put it on their pull lists and they missed a copy of it because it was so popular. And this one's going to be doubly popular. So go tell your local shop to hold it for you and they'll save them for you. You can go pick them up. They can ship them to you. There's all kinds of great options. So don't miss it. Dead End Kids 2, it's coming back. So come and join the gathering. Have a great week and GGG. Grand Geek Gathering.